Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling like I'm constantly shifting and I'm feeling like I'm in my (laughs) stew, stew studio, which is actually a reference to Phil Collins' terrible song. Uh, I don't think it's terrible. Sorry, sorry, Phil. Sorry, Phil. I love it. I, I didn't mean to be rude about Phil. Um, didn't he have a song called Sue Sue Studio or something, mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that? Anyway, I thought it was great. I think um, it's every time I think of today's guest, I always sing that in my head. Um, he didn't know that, but he does now. And um, so I'm feeling like I'm constantly shifting. And that is because today's guest work is kind of centered around that idea of constantly shifting. And mm. for me, it means one thing, but for him, it's something very, very different, which is about shifting place. And um, today's guest is someone that is very dear to our heart. We've already spoken to him before for a special uh, live talk in London, in West London. It was very fancy, but with a number of other artists. I think we had three uh, other artists and we didn't actually record that conversation. And afterwards I was like, why didn't we record that? Mm. Um, So this is a wonderful way to capture some of our previous conversation, but also go to new places. Now, our guest is also based in Margate at TKE Studios now um, in the professional um, artist studio complex, which is connected to Tracy Emin's new art school. And we've been friends for a while now, maybe a year or so but I was aware of his work numerous years because of so many different people like the amount of people that discover this artist's work and give me a call or a text going how do I meet this artist how can I buy this artist's work Mm -hmm. why are you not showing this artist where can I see this artist all that kind of stuff people love your work and um the kind of themes that we're going to be discussing today are ideas surrounding difference, knowledge, visibility. Um, he works across performance, video, painting, sculpture, even just had a whole huge installation in Miami, which was acquired by the Parish Museum. And it was an incredible installation, oh, wow. like a sculptural installation, which is a major moment for today's guest. So I'm very proud and excited to welcome our dear friend, Studio, Studio Lenka. Hi, Hi Robert and Russell. <laughs> it's so nice to be here with you, especially because we were just partying at the Carl Friedman yeah. party. <laughs> On Saturday night, the Ronan McKenzie party. Yeah, it was, wild, it was so eh? great. So for those who don't know, your artist name is Studio Lenka, but your birth name is Jose Campos. Yes. So I go as Studio Lenka. Uh, I wanted to position my practice as a studio because I've always worked within studios different types of studios. I started off as a dancer when I was a child and I sort of moved into different things. I was making videos. So 
you know, working with uh, photography studios and, and editing suites. And so a studio is really, for me, a space for experimentation. And that's not really weighted to any sort of process or a specific material. I really like sort of thinking about just space. And then Lenca are, the, are some of the indigenous people of eastern El Salvador, which is where I was born. Um, and my mother has heritage there as well. There's an amazing quote on your website. You're talking about where you was born and people getting asked all the time where they're from. And the first quote that comes up, it says, when people ask me where I'm from, I never know how to answer. Born in El Salvador, growing up illegally in California, then spending my adult life in the UK. What does that question mean? And why do people ask it? Now, that's the first, when you go to your website, that's the first kind of quote of yours that comes up. Why is that so important for you? And why is that, it feels like it's quite a triggering thing to be asked where you're from to you? Yeah, I mean, it, it can seem like a very sort of innocent question, but it can also be, you know, answered in many different ways. So what I think is when someone asks me that is, why are you here? Because I live in Margate, you know, and I have an American accent and I look Latino. So there's, there's all these things that sort of make up my identity that when someone asks me that, I think, you know, what, what do they want to hear? And also, do I have time to go into this? <laughs> you know, um, no, it's a lot, isn't it? It's a, it's a lot to sort of expect that of somebody. It's kind of a, even just on a boundaries level, it's quite exhausting in a way to constantly be having to spend your daily life, like explaining. Um, yeah, exactly. Like and I, I wear a wedding ring as well. So People also ask me, oh, are you married? And then I have to go, well, actually, I'm gay. And, you know, so I have to explain even more <laughs> about yeah. my identity. Yeah, That's the thing, being gay, is that you do come out every day. The amount of times I've been in the taxi and a driver would be like, what football team do you support? I'm like, I don't really support football. <laughs> and automatically they go, oh, right, okay. What do you support? Do you, do you like any sports? I like, I like sports, but I'm only like art and, you know, drama and that. Oh, okay. And then you, you know that they're like, oh, you're gay. All right. Yeah, or they yeah. have to ask, you got a, got a girlfriend? Got a wife? I, uh, yeah. no. I, I, I get out of the taxi door and I'm like, I'm coming out. <laughs> no, they that's never another, ask you. They know. That's they a know song when, that I adore. When you get in and out. And they say that reminds me, when I turned 18, the US military actually called my house phone. Literally the day I turned 18, they called my house. I don't know how they got my number. And they said... Um, can we speak to Jose Campos? And my sister picked up and, and she was, she's younger than me. She was like, uh, he's at ballet class. <laughs> and they never called again. So. <laughs> Good tip. Good tip. Yeah. If, you, if you want to get out of the military. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my so God. What, what, this is when you was 18, this is in California. So what age did you leave California and come to the UK? Because you spent most of your adult life in the UK. Yeah, exactly. I came around um, 19. Um, so I came to London, directly to London. Why was, why London? Well, I met my partner and he was studying sculpture at Edinburgh College of Art. Um, and so after a year of being apart, we sort of decided to come to London and settle there. Amazing. And now yeah. you're in Margate. So how did, how did Margate come onto the, uh, the geography of your life? Actually, one of our close friends, um, her nan used to have a hotel um, in Cliftonville. And for about 10 years, we were coming back and forth to Margate, and we really loved it. Actually, it really reminds me of Northern California. You know, the, the landscape, the wind, the, the sunsets. 
So after being in London for about 12 years, we decided to make the, the move to Margate. Um, and I think that was because I, I needed space. I needed nature. Um, and it's turned out really well because I've really become an artist in Margate. Oh, that's good. What do you, really? how, how, in what how, way? Yeah, in what way? How comes? You really feel that there? Yeah, I really feel that because I was teaching in a secondary school in Peckham. And that was like a really important thing for me. It was like a, a really sort of creative practice. I saw it as, as being an artist within a, a school. But um, just the daily life of being in, in, in London, you know, having to take the public transport and living far away from your friends, all of that. Um, also being able to afford a, a studio space. Um, here in Margate, I found that I could get a bigger space um, and I could just sort of relax and walk to the studio and really think about what I was doing. That's amazing. So people coming to your work will see a lot of figures in big hats. Now, when you was talking about the party the other night, you turned up and you had one of these big hats. And I was like, there he is. I can see you from across <laughs> the room bopping incredibly well. And you had one of these hats and I felt like, okay, so it's interesting that in your life you wear this hat and then the characters that are appearing throughout your paintings, the narrative, they all have these hats as well. What is this hat that we're seeing? So originally they started as a sort of folkloric uh, dancer and uh, a folkloric dancer that exists in El Salvador. They're called Los Historiantes and they wear these big round hats with flowers that adorn them, patterns, bold color. And the figures sort of started there. Um, but I, I became obsessed and I just sort of started to, to do more and more of these paintings and I realized what, what it was is I was trying to create visibility for myself. I was trying to visibly be Salvadoran, visibly be uh, a Latin immigrant, so that other people started to connect with that. Um, so the hats take up space as well. Um, physically, they take up space in a composition, um, but also it's kind of imagining a world where these figures do take up space because a lot of Latinx people feel like invisible, perhaps. And they're a way to, for you, explore masculinity. Are they autobiographical or are they a, a symbol of, like you're saying, they, they represent uh, a community? It, it kind of shifts. I mean, at the moment, I think it's more a sort of anonymous figure. And sometimes people actually say to me, they almost look genderless as well, um, which I think is really interesting. But there are definite parts of me in the figures. And yeah, I love hats. Like hats are a moment. You know, if you're wearing like <laughs> a huge yellow hat, like everyone's going to look at That's you. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word I associate with your paintings, which is choreography. Mm. Um, because I think there's there's so much about movement. And it really struck me when I was in your studio, when you first moved to TKE. And I was kind of in the middle of it. And I felt like I was in the middle of this kind of energy um, stream or like energy force. Because there was just movement everywhere I looked. And it, when you see the paintings all installed, together even like different dimensions because I know you make smaller ones which have frames that you often paint over and then you have giant ones that are like you know 
five times bigger than I am even. So they're really expansive works. And it just suddenly I started to feel the dance and this kind of choreography within the room. And I remember saying it to you and you looked really chuffed. You were like, yes. Like, and I think that that recent um, installation as well in Miami during Basel in December, which was um, acquired by the, the parish museum, that also really highlighted this idea of choreography. So it's something that spreads out of your paintings into the sculptures as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's where I come from, really, dancing. I'm really inspired by choreographers like Pina Bausch, who, who sort of use materials in interesting ways to talk about the human condition. I also love Trisha Brown, who uses very pedestrian uh, movement. And sometimes I feel like when I'm in my studio, I'm, I'm sort of, like you said, Robert, caught in a moment with these figures. It's like, a, I think her name is Lois Greenfield. She's like a, a dance photographer and she shoots dancers who are just in a sort of leap or, you know, in, in, caught in a moment. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do because I was a dancer and I was also undocumented at the same time. So it's kind of about the duality that exists within my own identity. It's saying that immigrants can be more than just these narratives that are, you know, part of this public discourse. They can contribute to culture. They're painters, they're dancers, they're everything. What does it feel like to be, like you say, undocumented, and it's obviously a huge part of your identity, but when you're younger, is that something that is really like weighing down on you? Is that something you're very aware of when you are undocumented? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like a huge part of your identity. It's sometimes I get emotional. I'm just warning you. <laughs> but um, it's it means that you're not legally able to live in a place. And that affects everything. It's It starts to affect how you imagine your future, for example. What kind of jobs can you have? Um, I recently did a painting that's hanging at T- in the TKE studios. And it's a figure with eyes all over it. And the idea for that painting is, is that that figure has to observe everything. You know, if, if uh, so, someone gets too close or if they see something, uh, because you can, you can never rest as an undocumented person. You might get deported, uh, you know, if you do something or if you're too visible. Wow, we. You yeah. said um, amazing things uh, about your mother and, uh, you know, me and Rob, love our mums that's the reason we're here on talk art mums rule yeah and you you've said as as an artist you reflect on your relationship to her and to labor Mm. and because of her you are an artist and i'd love to talk a bit more about that yeah yeah so um when we moved to california we were undocumented so one of the only jobs that she could have was uh cleaning houses privately and, you know, she couldn't afford childcare, so I would go along with her to help her with the houses um, because I was the eldest of the three. And, yeah, I mean, I, I always sort of think that I kind of learned about another world through that process. Like, I remember coffee table books. In, in one, one of these houses in particular, there was Madonna's sex book. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, how is there a book called Sex? And like, you know, who is this woman who has all these like beautiful photographs? So it was like moments like that that really sort of challenged me and sort of like almost gave me an art education. Like I'd see paintings on the walls or sculptures and I'd have to sort of clean around them 
but also sort of like really observe them as well. So I want to credit my mother for that experience because I think that there's so many ways of becoming an artist. It's not just going to university and doing a BA, you know, so I, I try to include that. And I also think about making work for her specifically because uh, sometimes I feel people like her are not included in galleries and in institutions. And I, and I think, what can I do to bring people like my mother along? Well, I think you'll speak. We, that's exactly why we're doing this podcast is that I always consider that when my mum, my mum listens to every episode, when she gives me a good feedback for an episode, I think, well, that's it. It's cracked it. This is, yeah. this is the audience that you want to connect to. And it's not, it's not patronizing in any way. It's just like the fact that art is for everyone and everybody has an opportunity and, and deserves to be included in that. But would you say then that these, this time that you were cleaning these houses with your mum and the, these wealthy families, was that your first museum, would you say? Was that the first time you were kind of around art to that level? Can, mm -hmm. And can you remember what you saw? Well, yeah, I would say that it was a sort of museum. Uh, I mean, like a private collection, you know. Um, and it, and it, it wasn't just like specific works of art that I can remember. It was like a Bergdorf Goodman catalog um, shot really beautifully. It was the vases that were curated. It was the types of food that they were eating. Um, so it was it was everything. It was interior design. Um, and just being in, in a space, you know, and not just reading about it, but actually being in those spaces, I was like physically like transgressing these like boundaries. Did that experience connect with any of the work that you're making now or went on to make? I actually um, just made a, a few pieces using tablecloths and um, the tablecloths are actually scrubbed with cleaning chemicals. So they look like paintings, but actually they're um, distressed and they're sort of um, starting to fall apart. And it's kind of a metaphor for the work that my mother still does um, and her body sort of deteriorating. Um, but also the, the beauty, you know, she was, doing, she, she was doing all this hard work so that we could go to school and, you know, so that I could eventually become an artist. For me, there's something in your work that's like the other, like, we, we, we're all different in a way, like even Russ and myself, like growing up queer, you feel different from the norm. And actually it's funny to think of like the sex book and how liberating that was mm. for so many people around the world. But like um, this idea of you being in those homes where you're seeing all of these like, um, you know, interior design, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then I've seen on your, on your um, kind of text about your work, your kind of mission statement, this idea of like a conservative society looking at you as some kind of like illegal alien. Mm -hmm. And I thought that word alien was so fascinating because it's kind of the view of an outsider in a sense, like someone who's kind of on the edge of society as, as many people can be in so many different ways. But I was really interested in the idea of aliens also in some kind of like liberating kind of sci-fi um, freedom kind of element, because in being different, there's a power. Mm. And I feel like your paintings and your sculptures and your installations kind of harness that power. It's almost like a nimbleness, like a, mm. a, a light um, at foot, if you could say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like a kind yeah. of way of navigating the world, a way of like taking adventure yeah. and embracing it and living it and breathing it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly spot on. Um, uh, illegal alien is, is, a, is, a, is a formal term that was given to me. 
Um, so I had a, a card that said a legal alien on it. Uh, <laughs> and then um, that's exactly right. These figures are sort of leaping in difficult situations. They have superpowers um, because of their difference. And um, I, I feel most comfortable on the outside um, because, you know, Margate isn't where I'm from, but I'm here and I have all of these sorts of lives that I've lived as a, as a dancer, as a teacher in London, you know. So, it, yeah, you're right. It is a superpower and we should celebrate it like that. Exactly. We're the chosen ones. We're the, we're the one in 10. <laughs> we're the special ones. Oh so what, what about fashion then for you? Because <laughs> there's so many bright colors that go through all the clothing you were saying about the one with the eyes on it just now and yeah. people will see all these bright colors that go through the hats and sometimes there's little cars in there yeah these accessories um where does the fashion come from and are you a fashionable guy are you looking at clothing i can vouch for him by the way sorry to interrupt but he is fashionable okay. every time i see him walking down the street i'm always like who's that and it's always you uh, and you have that amazing um tartan loeve uh kind of bum bag i don't even know how you describe it like a like, pouch bag yeah thing. fanny pack i love that yeah. fanny pack, fanny pack. <laughs> yeah that's me in the fanny pack um i you know i think these figures are about joy and um, to express joy, they have color and pattern. Yeah, I, I do take inspiration from, you know, different magazines. There's a lot of amazing portraiture in, in fashion photography that I sort of look to. And also like colors as well. Like I'll, I'll see what like, you know, Gucci or Lueve is doing and I'll take inspiration. I'll, I'll try to sort of understand um, what it is that they're trying to do with, with the colors that they choose to put side by side. You started in photography, didn't you? That was kind of your first venture in and dance and photography. And you're talking about these uh, historiantes and they yeah. became, that became a whole body of work that you, you still are working through, right? Yes. It's a constant thing. I, I, I'm obsessed with portraiture and um, these historiantes, they, they look amazing. Like to me, they look like these beautiful, like couture creatures that I could see in a fashion editorial. But they're, you know, doing their thing in El Salvador. You know, they sort of construct these these costumes with whatever they can find. They're, they're not wealthy people. Each village has their own group of historiantes. So each, each kind of group has their own style. Like some wear blazers with sunglasses. Some wear big giant hats um, with ribbons and lace. So depending on, on which uh, village you go to, like each one has their own style. And then you created a body of work that was looking because because all the clothing you're talking about would be sourced local to where the community are. Yeah. And you created a sequence when you was in the UK where you got yeah. what yeah. was that? So that's also performative to like try and collect the materials locally. There's a road um, in Margate called North Down Road, which is a really great diverse community, and I love going there to gather materials. It's like my sort of you know. Uh, art shop, I guess. Um, I collect things like laces. I collect um, like doilies that I sort of like break apart and like glue <laughs> on the hats and like make an amazing hat. But th those materials then talk about the place that you are in. And um, that's what the historiantes do. So I, I try to sort of replicate that locally. Amazing. We've seen as well recently, I saw a body of work and guns are appearing now. And I, the work's like 
they, they troubled me a bit to see guns because the characters are still looking all, all of your characters are making eye contact with you and they're quite neutral faced or, or they're smiling they're smirking a bit but now they've got guns in their hands and that's something that i'd love to talk to you about because i did i did find that quite um upsetting in some ways yeah i um yeah so it's the reason why um i left el salvador there was a civil war and i left in sort of 1989 um, and a lot of what was happening was is, uh, young boys were being recruited as soldiers. So they, those paintings are referring to that moment in El Salvador's history where you'd have like a young 10-year-old with a huge machine gun, not knowing what it was that they were doing. Wow. And have you connected to people from El Salvador who've seen your work and recognize the, the clothing or recognize these situations or recognize these characters in somehow? Yes. And that's, that's kind of been like the most amazing thing is uh, social media is, is a really sort of democratic space because a lot of people from El Salvador can't travel outside of El Salvador. So it, it becomes a dialogue where I sort of share my work and then they see it and, and they see somebody else on the outside you know make making this type of work and exhibiting in different countries and it's all to do with their culture as well so I've had some really amazing messages you know people saying I never thought I'd see like a Salvadoran artist like this so yeah definitely I've, I've definitely connected uh, to people are there famous so cool. artists from there that we should know um, I think probably the most iconic artist is Fernando Yort. He sort of created an aesthetic for El Salvador, but there are contemporary artists in El Salvador. There's um, a whole bunch of amazing studios. I, I was just there two weeks ago visiting studios, and I would recommend that people look at uh, an organization called Yes Contemporary. They're a foundation that really sort of promotes artists, contemporary artists that live in El Salvador and are also oh, wow. part of the diaspora. There's there's amazing, yeah, Salvadoran artists that are doing amazing things, you know, at Art Basel and, and you know, different museums. And yeah, it's, it's, it's inspiring. But are they allowed to leave to go to these things? And are you allowed to visit and come back? Um, if you live inside the country, you do have to sort of apply for a visa depending on the country. So uh, up until recently, the UK didn't require visas for Salvadoran people, but now they do. Um, there are some countries that, that have agreements that you can just sort of fly back and forth. But if you go to the US, for example, if you have a show at Art Basel, you do have to hope that you do get the visa so you could go and see it. Wow. As well as creating community through your work, I feel like you often kind of reference community or you've actually... Mm. Didn't you actually do kind of workshops with interacting with different groups of people in order to kind of bring them together and create new ideas? Yeah, so um, the works that I made for, well, the, the installation that I made uh, called Chisme, which means gossip in Spanish, is something that I made in Miami. And I made it uh, alongside um, domestic workers, agricultural workers, um, people that work uh, picking fruit, for example, that was during a residency at Fountainhead Arts in Miami. And those figures were then exhibited at Untitled, which was amazing. Because Miami in that moment, as you know, turns into this like center for power. And the, the people that contributed to these works are actually fighting for shade, water, very basic needs. 
So it was nice to sort of include them in these in these moments. And then those figures have actually been collected by the Parish Museum, and they're going to be a part of the, the, the permanent collection. Congratulations. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you sketch before you do the paintings or do you sort of work on, do you know what is going to be the composition before you start? I don't really like sketching. I like working directly onto the canvas. I think that it's like a ballet dancer going to the bar every single morning and doing plies. It's about how they do the plies that day. So although it's the same thing, it's about sort of what happens in that moment. Um, So it's not necessarily like coming up with a a brand new composition. It's just about sort of tuning into how I feel and, um, yeah, just going for it. Can we talk about um, the Vessels of Magic, which is uh, another huge body of work that I'm obsessed with, Rob's obsessed with. We love a, love a vessel. Yeah. And these feel like they look like they're clay, but they're mm. the material is something different. Where did this come from and, and how was that part of your practice? How, how often is this something that you work into? So after I was taking pictures of Historiantes, I also wanted to reference uh, like the Maya culture. And the fact that when a culture is erased, the things that we're left with are the artifacts and and the vessels. So I started making vessels in the only way that I could at my desk, which was with paper mache. And so I made a whole bunch of paper mache vessels. And then I I, I showed them when I went to study at Goldsmiths. And I asked um, the visitors to break them down, which was an interesting process because I was asking them to sort of erase this culture in a way. Um, so that was really interesting. But that sort of research has led me to making my latest work, which is um, Border Vessels. And um, this is a, a, a collaborative project. So I, I went to the U.S.-Mexican border and I dug clay from the Rio Grande, which is a border crossing for many migrants from Central America. It's funny because in Mexico, that same river is called Rio Bravo, which means angry river. And so we dug the, the clay and we sort of made, I say we because I worked with a ceramic studio, Clay Valley Studio on the border. And we made one gallon water bottles, which is something that migrants travel with. 
during these dangerous journeys. And so I took the, the vessels and I returned them to El Salvador. So I traveled with them to El Salvador where we had a ceremony for them at a sort of a Mayan site in a way to sort of create closure for, for these, these lives that have been crossing, you know. So, um, yeah, it's been really a special work. I remember sitting in your studio uh, under the very beautiful, airy light well, because you have this incredible kind of airy, bright light sunlit studio and and being close to the sculptures and being really moved by them they have a kind of a soul to them because of the papier-mâché and because of even the shapes of them like the one you're mentioning of that kind of water bottle there's something really poignant about them and really emotive and it's something so simple but it's something that most people would just totally ignore and I think it's such a beautiful thing to kind of turn that into an artwork because often everyday objects become artworks you see it all the time but often it can be quite pop arty or whatever but I feel like in your work it's a really important gesture yeah I mean the the this everyday I it makes me think of like you know I was just thinking about this it makes me think of like something that Pina Bausch might do you know she goes to like a different city and like creates a work in Rio for example um and uses like the plastic chairs that are there or you know, so these sort of everyday objects that, that are really powerful also outside of the context because they instantly transform you to this place, it, transport you to this place rather. And, and I think that's, that's what I want to do. It's, it's placemaking through the material. Yeah, and, and I think atmospheres are created in, in your installations as well. Like I know you've used plastic chairs yourself, but you've also had flowers and kind of very basic kind of um, simple single flower kind of pots. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about that kind of body of work? That, that um, was an installation that I did at Quench Gallery in Margate where I took alcohol bottles and I filled them with carnations. Um, and then I placed two uh, plastic chairs that are very typically Latin um, in the space. And that was kind of about being queer and creative in a Latin household, um, which can be very sort of machista, very sort of homophobic, and how creativity really allowed me to imagine something different to escape that reality. Yeah, it's interesting that idea of childhood as well, when you grow up with kind of um, older siblings or like adult men in school like teachers or your family or their friends and and the idea of like being macho sometimes you see kids who are like 10 years old acting like they're some big muscle man and you I see it a lot in Margate actually because there's sort of um kids going around on their bikes and stuff and often they're walking down the street like you know walking the dog or something they, they've already got this kind of <laughs> like on, real yeah. macho energy at the age of like 10 yeah. and it's it's kind of even more poignant when you're thinking about things like when they're holding guns you know what I mean like your description earlier it's just devastating this idea of like childhood and how it just gets taken away and it, it can for them they obviously feel powerful um having felt you know probably subconsciously not having much power there's something suddenly by holding a gun and feeling like I'm a man or macho at the age of 10 years old or 11 years old yeah it's just mind-blowing yeah it is mind-blowing I was I just went to get my hair cut and when I go to a barber's, I don't know if you feel this, I feel this very sort of masculine energy when I walk in and I have to sort of sit up straight and like maybe lower my voice or something. Um, so I totally get that that vibe of macho. Um, but I think that like 
portraiture and painting is also an assertion of power um, if you haven't felt powerful before. How are you, we're talking about you just sold a whole body of work to the Parish Museum and you've got a lot of attention. How are you navigating selling art and being an artist in demand and one that people are really starting to follow and connect with? I don't, I don't know. I feel really grateful and humbled every day. I, you know, my dog keeps me in check. <laughs> <laughs> I have a sausage dog, but um, no, it's a it's a. Real... a sausage dog is sometimes in the paintings. Uh, Am I imagining no, that? No, I should though. <laughs> okay, I'm imagining that. Maybe I've seen Russell's that. dreaming I'm of like, your okay, work when he's asleep. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's a witch. Sorry, he's I'm, like a, I am a witch. He's like I'm a, a clairvoyant sausage witch. They call um, me. <laughs> wait, so it's interesting. I wanted to ask you about the success because you've had kind of success rising over the last few years. I've, I've seen you being written about you were on the front cover of Scene magazine, even here locally. And um, you've, you've participated in Soho House promotions and all, all kinds of things. But I noticed in your studio, you've actually kept back a lot of the early work for yourself. And I was kept asking you, what was that? What was that on the top of your like yeah. cabinets or cupboards or something? You had all these little paintings. Yeah. Can you talk about those little paintings? Because I absolutely love them. They're tiny sort of A4 paintings. And I started making them when I only had a desk. So that's why they're so small. And I was really trying to find my style. And for a long time, I didn't show them to anyone because I thought they were hideous. But now that I've started working much more, I really sort of keep them almost like an amulet or a charm in the studio because it's kind of like, remember where you came from? I mean, not that I'm, I've gone anywhere, but, you know, that style, like, where does the style come from? And that's why I sort of hold on to them. And these are like portraits, aren't they? They're kind of like the, the, the heads, the faces yeah. of you, perhaps. Yeah, they're, they're me trying to figure out how to paint portraiture <laughs> and um, they, they always have these hats so it's it's a it's a learning process that's really evident in these paintings and the thing is since that point they have really developed the, the painting styles become much more fluid yeah. and also you, you started to like uh, go to flea markets and kind of find um frames yeah. and you've got some really ornate ones and really expensive ones yeah. that you've either found very affordably or you've actually invested yes in. i love finding frames like sometimes a frame just like really speaks to me i was just at the national gallery like two days ago and I was just staring at all the frames. They're incredible. They're like sculptures. Like, and the more important the painting, like the more massive and gold the frame is. It's it's crazy. But I, I like to collect these frames and then paint over them almost in a way to sort of defy them. Um, and these figures um, are, you know, put into these frames and they sort of bleed across these borders um, and I've said this to to both of you that they're European borders, actually. Um, so it's about making this history a bit more messy, a bit more entangled, and a bit more sort of, in in my mind, bodily, more bodily. Wow. So the border of the frame, in some ways, is a metaphor for borders within countries and the borders for yeah. immigration. So wow. And you're so you're bleeding over the borders with these figures. Yes, and history as well. I mean, especially in art, it's presented to us in a very specific way, but very neat. So, you know, when we think about that, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's a bit messier. 
I, I also think about time points mm. with them because they're often vintage frames or they've been used for a completely different purpose. And I think there's something really beautiful about time mm. in your work, like this kind of shifting time perspective. Yeah, I love that because I always leave the labels on. I don't try to make it look like a newer frame. I really love to see like where the frame has come from, Belgium, Paris, London, and that, and then to have a sort of Salvadoran figure on it, who's queer maybe, is like really interesting. Yeah, it's kind of subversive. <laughs> What's the most you spent on a frame? Oh God, I've um, I've spent, I think this is a lot, like 300 pounds for a frame, just mm -hmm. the frame. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you've worked on that one already? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I feel quite naughty, like painting over it because it's a, like a beautiful antique frame. But then I have to remember like what I'm trying to do. And when it comes to pricing, then, if you have a frame that's, say, £2 from a charity shop or you have this £300 frame does that, and they're the same size, <laughs> does that affect how you price the work for collectors? I've never had that situation, but I would imagine that it would, you know, just the cost of the frame. Yeah, almost like a production cost. Yeah. Um, wh when I was in your studio, we had a really fascinating conversation about language and we were talking about Latinx artists and visibility and how few Latinx artists are discussed in even the UK mm -hmm. or American contemporary art worlds. And even though it's shifting, it's still a huge kind of... Um, you know, uh, something that's missing, quite quite radically missing. Yeah. And we, we spoke about the language, though, and the actual term Latinx, because mm. I was really interested in it. And you were talking about how it's currently evolving. And there's all these discussions and kind of symposiums and people around the world, you know, debating it fiercely. Can you speak a bit about that briefly? Just because yeah. I found it so interesting. Yeah. So in Spanish, you say Latino or Latina, and that's uh, very gendered. So the term Latinx, I think, sort of started to include different forms of gender expression. And it's now evolved uh, into the X, meaning that actually it's to do with the US. So positioning your identity within the US. So for example, if like me, you um, are Salvadoran, but you grew up undocumented in the US, that's different than being just Salvadoran in El Salvador. So there's a certain privilege that comes with being a citizen of the country that you were born in. And the term is sort of, some people like it and some people don't like it. Like, for example, my mother, I don't know if she would be able to say Latinx because in Spanish it's equis and she doesn't speak uh, very much English. So some people argue that it's a term that maybe academics in the U.S. have created rather than, than the people themselves. But saying that, I use it because it's kind of like currency. It's something that curators or institutions understand. So it's, it's useful to sort of trade with that, that kind of language. Yeah. And then the new term is Latine. Yes, Latine. Yes, that's right. Which is easier to pronounce if you come from a Spanish kind of background of educational speaking. Yes, that's right. So, um, so it, yeah, it's, it's easier to say in Spanish, Latinx. Because it's almost like the idea of Latinx kind of excludes people mm. who it's referring to or something. It's a really fascinating concept. Yeah, it? it's constantly evolving. Maybe it's too heavy for right now, <laughs> but I, um, I just wanted to mention it because I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. What is the um, materials you use? What, what, what paint brands and is it acrylic or is it oil? Well, I'm kind of self-taught. 
because um, I came through like dancing and then photography and then sculpture. So I just sort of started working with whatever I had. And now that's evolved to where the faces that I paint are in oil. And I really love uh, Windsor and Newton. And then the bodies uh, are usually in acrylic. And I, I love acrylic because it dries quickly. And then, you know, you can work on top with different layers um, and lots of different colors all at once. You don't have to wait ages. <laughs> so uh, we're talking to you from Tracy Emin's uh, art studios in Margate. What is it like being at these studios? And they're brand new for everybody listening who don't know. They, they only opened this year officially, really. H- how long are you planning to be in there? And what is the experience like? It's incredible to be here. I applied not thinking I would get a space. And then I got invited to come have a tour with Tracy herself. She showed me the space and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is like a dream. And I keep thinking that every single day. Um, Every time I walk in, like the light is just incredible. It has these amazing sort of skylights and everything is white. She's been really generous and and how she sort of set up the space. There's a lot of care. Um, And it just means that as an artist, you can just be an artist. You don't have to worry about being cold. You don't have to worry about, you know, locking the doors um, and, you know, someone coming in to like, because in my previous studio, people were always coming in off the street. So I don't have to worry about that. You can just be an artist. and, And there's a community here as well. There's several artists and we get together uh, for coffee and, you know, we're getting to know each other's practices. It's, it's a real community. Because artist studios and being cold seem <laughs> to be <laughs> a trend, a thing. A yeah. thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, definitely. Why? I think artists always move into spaces that are like unseen or not cared for. And, and then, you know, they become these amazing artist studios and then people think, oh, let's turn those into flats. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So what, what is the dream? What is next for you? But what also is, is the dream uh, venue to exhibit in? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I'm working on a show for Tank Contemporary, and that's going to be in July. Um, and that's actually going to be in Bangkok. I'm going to go there, so that's going to be really interesting. And I, I don't know, like... Where would I like to exhibit next? I, I, I think for the border vessels that I just made, I think ethically they should be a part of a, a public collection, not in a private collection, um, just to tell that story. So maybe a public institution in the UK. Yeah, Lovely. Jose, we're going to get into our final questions now. This has been wonderful. You are so cool. Uh, the first question is, if you could do an art heist, you could have any work of art in the world for yourself, you could steal it and me and Rob will help you, what would it be and why? Oh my gosh. When you started saying that, I immediately thought of a whole ballet. Can I steal a oh, ballet? Yes, you can. Yeah. That's lovely. I, I might steal a classic, which is the Nutcracker. And that sounds really sort of Christmassy and cute, but it's not. It's an incredible, I mean, it's an incredible piece of work. The music, the costume design, the set design, um, maybe the the Royal Ballet's version of the Nutcracker. Do you go and see it every year? Is it like a tradition for you? Uh, I used to when I was younger, not anymore, um, but I always listen to the music. I was in it as well, so (gasps) it reminds me of like 
when I, you know the, the steps like i can when i hear the music i can like picture the steps is there um a sadness to your dance career not being the career that you're in now uh there was there was a moment where i was sort of sad that that didn't happen um because that dancing is very much about having like the perfect body for it um and that was kind of like a language when I stopped dancing, that was kind of like not being able to speak a language. But actually, I turned into uh, becoming a visual artist. So that is, uh, is is the same part of my brain. Painting and dancing is all the same kind of language. Yeah, and I think dancing is is just about as much as looking as feeling, isn't it, in a way? Because it's you spend so much time in the mirror. Yeah. I just remember from being a kid doing ballet and you, you spend so much time having to reflect back on the self that in a weird way, it's a perfect training yeah. for visual you, art. You, you learn about space and line and tone and texture through your body, you know. Mm. What snacks do you have at the studio? I don't know why I'm asking you this, but I think I remember seeing fun snacks when i was in in the studio last fun time. snacks in the studio i mean we're all... what do you eat to fuel yourself <laughs> yeah. in order to keep keep going i'm more coffee. do you have any rituals <laughs> i'm always drinking coffee. coffee in the studio um there's a <laughs> coffee machine downstairs and it, yeah it's really good but there's always exciting things happening here at tke like we'll literally get a text saying like so and so's coming around and everyone gets like really excited and like opens up their studios that happens like every other day, basically. <laughs> yeah, you, you've had um, Andreas Krontala from Vivian Westwood. He's her widow and the head of Vivian Westwood Design. He came round. Yinka Ilori came round, didn't he? Yinka Ilori came round. You yeah. actually weren't there that day, but we did pop into your studio, and he he was a massive fan of yours, and I think you since connected. I love Yinka, and um, I even gave a, a talk to the students there, the the other half of the complex. Yeah, um, yes, a very impassioned yes, two hour conversation. Legend. Yeah. And apparently, do you know what? Apparently, after my talk, they all cancelled what they were supposed to be doing in the afternoon. Cancelled so their could studios. No, 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 <laughs> yeah. no. So they could all paint and draw because they oh. were so like empowered by what I was saying. That's so brilliant. Tracy was really, really impressed. Um, the other question is, what is your favourite colour? Uh, I'm going to say yellow. Oh, yeah. Mm, I'm, I'm using a lot of yellow and it's such a positive color. Sunshine, like right now. Yes. And bananas. What, is the car, what do the little cars mean when they appear in your work? Um, I usually paint Toyota trucks because in El Salvador, like people use Toyota trucks for everything. So um, when I used to go as a child, like they'd pick us up and we'd from the airport and we'd have to be in the back of a Toyota truck. But also like the police uses the back of a Toyota truck. Like it's just used for everything. It's like the it's like a symbol for El Salvador. So when you when you said yellow and bananas, yeah. are there sort of evocative memories to do with the color yellow for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, actually, I think of plantain, um, like bright yellow plantain. They grow naturally everywhere in El Salvador. Amazing. Um, what is the best advice you have ever received when it comes to your art? Uh, the best advice. I, I used to have a teacher, um, he's still working as a teacher, his name is Alonzo King, and he's this amazing choreographer in San Francisco, and um, he, he used to shout, don't dance, in rehearsals, don't dance, and what he meant was, you know, be, be it, like, don't go through the steps and, you know, do what I've just taught you or told you to do, like, just be it. 
And I think I really sort of try to do that with my practice now. So don't paint. Don't Just paint. Yeah. Be the, be the painting. Yeah. I mean, what, what is it to paint? You know, like, what does it mean to be an artist? Well, that's a bigger discussion. <laughs> do you know? That's a whole do you know? Podcast. <laughs> do you know what it is to be an artist? What is your word of wisdom? It's yeah. it's being alive and responding to life. It's including people and having conversations with them. Oh. Love you, Jose. Um, you know, when you sign your paintings, you've got such a beautiful handwriting, and it's almost like a deliberate font or something that you sort of created for the paintings. Is writing poetry um, important to you, and how? Did that font appear in your painting? I, I sign my paintings and I sign them slowly because of the material, the thickness of the paint. So I really have to sort of like focus on how I produce each letter. And that actually creates that aesthetic. Um, oh. Because if I tried to sign it differently, it, it, would just, it would just be harder. So it's about that material asking me to sign the painting slowly. That's so weird. It's so purposeful. Mm. That that means if it's signed, it's a work. Yeah. At least everybody knows, like, that's a finished Studio Lenka yes, work. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> you had to really make an effort to sign yeah. it. You sign it Lenka, don't you? Yeah, Studio Lenka, yeah. Well, Jose Campos, Studio Lenka, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for being with us today on Talk Art. For everyone listening. Yeah, the second time we've interviewed yeah. you. Thank and you it's not going to be like, the last time. I feel like we're on the cusp. All again. You're on the cusp of something, and I feel like I, we're going to keep feel talking. Like I feel like you're going to put some music on now. Do you, do you listen to music? In the I studio? do. I, I love, love, yeah, different types of music, especially the, the Nutcracker. Nut you're going to the put nut the Nutcracker cracker. on when you get off. I can't believe I said the Nutcracker. It's not even Christmas. But um, like Latin music, it like really puts me in like a different. Like what though? Like which, which singers? Um, I really love or... Lido Pimienta. She's an amazing singer. And there's a sort of like magical realism quality to her. And she sort of like looks like a goddess as well. Like she like, yeah. It's amazing. Wow, I need her in yeah. my life. Well, for everyone listening, you can also Google that yeah. artist and you can Google Studio Lenka. And uh, what's your Instagram? At Studio Lenka. Very on brand. We love that direct. Um, well, for everyone listening, do go to at Talker and we will be posting images of Jose's work. Jose, we adore you. Um, I think this is just the beginning of a very beautiful friendship. I know it's been a few years and I remember seeing that painting of yours at Turner Contemporary in Margate in that group show. And I was just blown away mm. by them and there's something when you stand in front of your paintings because on instagram they become something else i think they almost have a life of their own but the actual physical paintings are just so 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 extraordinary so please keep doing what you're doing you're, you're making the world a better place and we'll be back very soon thanks for listening thank you jose thank you bye bye, bye. you've been listening to talk art with robert diamond and russell toby follow us on instagram at talk art where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode with music by jack northover subscribe to talk art at apple podcasts spotify acast or wherever it is that you get your podcasts give us a rating and write us a comment thanks for listening this message comes from bof sponsor ebay you'll know real when you get it it'll say ebay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, 
you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.